This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You'll also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody. Al Bernstein here with another episode of our show slash podcast in which we get a chance uh, today to visit with one of my best friends in boxing and one of the more interesting people in the sport, Joe Goosen. That'll be later on. Also, we'll uh, be talking to a gentleman who directed a very fine film uh, called Ringside that will be uh, debuting on June 12th on uh, Showtime. And we're looking forward to chatting with him about that film, which has to do with two young amateur boxers and the hardships they went through to get through the amateur ranks and onto the professional ranks as well. And uh, we're going to chat with you about some of the questions that you sent in for me. And toward that end, let's bring in my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you? I'm very good. And Al, I learned something about you this week. And I ah. didn't realize that you were a fighter on the south side of Chicago. True. I did, I did box on the, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and barks, boxed in the Park District system. And uh, was, uh, I had about 30 amateur fights uh, and was not in any way a threat to uh, make the <laughs> Olympic team. <laughs> but but I did have my moments as an amateur as an amateur fighter, and uh, it was great because it was uh, uh, I did it against the wishes, and you'll appreciate this trip because you're a multi athlete sport. You've been a, a multi sport athlete, and uh, I I was on the baseball team, and uh, the coach of the baseball team found out that I was boxing and had a, almost had a coronary occlusion. He was really. Uh, <laughs> distressed about that and um <laughs> so uh i i, I kind of i was hiding it from both him and my mother who didn't want me to to box so uh, finally they both found out why i thought i could have be at some tournament boxing uh on the south side of chicago and think that they weren't going to find out is of course typically how dumb a 16 year old can think um but nonetheless, so yeah, no, that was, uh, that's why when the, uh, what we're going to talk about later uh, with Andre uh, Horman, uh, the director of this ringside movie about these two young fighters from the south side of Chicago, it kind of resonated with me. Well, and if you think about it, the Kronk Gym in Detroit and all the great boxers that came out of Detroit, Chicago had a ton of great boxers and you could have yeah. been 
You could have been a champion, Al. Boy, I, I could have been a contender. <laughs> you know, I, it was funny. I, I, I enjoyed boxing a lot. And then I reached a certain plateau where I realized that was as far as I was going to get. And I had other, you know, other things going on. And, and again, I was, I, was, I was getting pushback from other sports uh, to not do it. So it ended up going the, by the wayside. But what it did do was make me, number one, it, it's helped me immeasurably in, in being able to be a boxing commentator because no matter, there are a lot of boxing commentators who do a fine job without having been boxers. But I believe it helps you at least understand even if you didn't do it on a world-class level, it helps you understand the, um, what it takes to be in the ring and how difficult it is to execute uh, what you want and how in that sport, unlike some, you pay a bigger price when you don't execute exactly what you need to execute. So, so it was a, certainly a good experience for me. And as a person, I, I think it helped me. So, um, so in that sense, it was good. Well, we've got three great questions coming up, but just ah. on an adjunct, you and I have done amateur fights in the past, and that is so much fun. And we actually, I think you and I did a chance to get some of the service academies coming together to fight. And we it's did, fun to yeah. see. We did. It's fun yeah. to see amateurs at the collegiate ranks, guys who are never going to make a yeah. career at it, but doing, having a lot of fun. And it's a wonderful, wonderful sport. It is. And I enjoy, you know, I, I enjoy always announcing uh, the, the boxing. And, you know, one of the interesting things is when you announce amateur boxing, I did the, the, uh, um, I did a, a big amateur tournament with Raul Marquez. Uh, uh, it was the USA. It was actually the USA Championships. <laughs> it's the championship uh, that you could do um, this past year. And uh, one of the things you have to remember is don't call it a fight. It's a match. And they're not oh. fighters. They're boxers. And I love that because it's true. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, some of the questions. Oh, and by the way, great news for the sport of boxing. In June, we're back, and that yeah, is oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so. I'm very excited that the sport is back, and I'm looking forward. Uh, we're, we're likely to come back in July for our Showtime matches, and, uh, and, and I think by mid-July, pretty much every, every platform and every promoter will, will be back with, uh, with the sport, and everybody's excited. Um, every sport is starting. I, I saw the announcements for hockey, one of your favorite sports in the NBA, uh, has got its format kind of tweaked and ready to go. So um, we're going to be seeing sports return, which is great. That's fantastic. So our first question, TJ, how great was Alexis Arguello? Uh, you know, when that question came, came in, it's an open-ended question, right? But I thought it's really one worth discussing because sometimes, you know, there are athletes from the past that you could lose sight of just how astonishing they were. And sometimes fighters or boxers can get um, defined by just a couple of fights. So, for instance, I'm sure there's a whole generation of fight fans that defines Alexis Arguello based on his two fights with Aaron Pryor, which are astonishing fights. He lost both of them, but they were amazing fights. But that might be the way you define him. Well, defining Alexis Arguello based on two losses at a higher weight class that toward the end of his career is not the way to define him. And, 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 and I'm just going to read these names off because it's so astonishing. He was, he was a champion in three different weight divisions. And here are some of the people that he fought. Ruben Olivares, Alfredo Escalera, Cornelius Boza Edwards. Um, 
Jose Luis Ramirez, James Watt, Rolando Navarrete, uh, Bobby Chacon. You know, those are all amazing fighters. And, and he went in with all of them and beat most of them. And, you know, his style of fighting was like, like silk. It was so smooth. You know, he had that beautiful jab and beautiful right hand. Oh, and I left out Ray Mancini from that group as well. Uh, he, and, he and Ray engaged in a phenomenal lightweight matchup in which Ray fought very well, but just couldn't quite get past Alexis Arguello. So Alexis Arguello is one of the top fighters who has ever laced on uh, a pair of gloves. You know, I'm not big on rating things, but wherever you want to put him, he, he, he was an astonishing fighter. And the fact that he could compete even at 140 with a prime uh, Aaron Pryor when he did was pretty extraordinary. So I have nothing but extraordinary things to say about Alexis Arguello. Uh, the next question from Brad Smith. Al, always wanted to ask you this question. In your opinion, who would have won a fight between Floyd Mayweather and Sugar Ray Leonard? Okay, I can already see that no matter what I do here, my Twitter life is going to be miserable for the next, <laughs> for the next like three months. You know, no matter I'm a, I'm a loser. I shouldn't. I selected this uh, question uh, among the ones that were given to me, knowing that uh, you know I was headed for trouble. So I showed <laughs> at least a modicum of courage in selecting this. Um, so these, of course, are these kind of things that have been so rampant during the, the last couple of months when we've been down with boxing and everybody's been making fantasy matchups and all the rest of it. This one, though, has been talked about for a long, long time. And I, I'm in a kind of a unique position because I've, I announced fights of both of these men, even though they were several generations um, removed from each other. And let me say first that however I define who's going to win or suggest who's going to win, it in no way denigrates either man, because both of these are, are extraordinary, uh, have been extraordinary boxers and uh, etched their name in history in a way that, uh, you know, can't be clouded in any way, shape or form, no matter what you think of how they might do in a fight with each other. Sugar Ray, the, one of the best ways I can kind of head toward this is to talk about the fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Wilfredo Benitez. Uh, Benitez was in his prime. He was very much like Floyd Mayweather, a brilliant defensive fighter. Uh, some people, his nickname was the Bible of boxing because he literally could do everything. And he and Ray Leonard fought uh, almost 15 rounds. Uh, right up to the end, it was competitive and exciting and interesting. But Ray Leonard was this much better than Wilfredo Benitez, just a little bit. Um, but he was able to, to pierce his defense enough to get in his power shots. And Benitez didn't quite have the power, though he did land punches against Ray Leonard, didn't have the power to really hurt him and do enough damage to gain the advantage over him. That's kind of the way I would see a Mayweather-Leonard fight going. Floyd Mayweather, a brilliant defensive fighter, one of the best of any generation, and certainly excellent offensively, though not super powerful. The, the difference, I think, between these two fighters would be that they both have great hand speed, they both have great skills, 
at the end of the day, I think Ray Leonard hits harder than Floyd Mayweather uh, and might have a more complete offensive arsenal of power shots. And so I think because of that, I would have to go for uh, Ray Leonard uh, in this fight. And I think he would win it. I don't know if he could possibly stop Mayweather, though, but I think it would be much like the Benitez fight where he would be getting to him later in the fight. Uh, and of course, the Benitez fight, uh, uh, you know, right at the end was when Leonard was very, really affected with him. But I, I so I, I would pick Ray Leonard to win the fight. So, by the way, for Mayweather fans out there, Al has shown a lot of courage because you live about four miles. Yeah, that's Floyd. right. I don't, I'm not that far from Floyd. And I bump into a lot of people that are connected with him. And, and as I said, this in no den way denigrates him. He's the, fight, he's the best fighter of his era. He's, he's one of the great fighters, you know, that's ever laced a, on a pair of gloves. And he's fantastic. I just think that Ray Leonard in that specific matchup would probably win the fight. And Floyd is modest about his skills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Andrew Haywood uh, writes, what is your favorite Larry Holmes fight? I'm oh, looking boy. forward to this. Yeah, that's a great question because Larry Holmes was in so many great fights. And he was a really terrific champion during his era. And one of the things that made him a great champion was he was a vulnerable champion. You know, we, we, he had some very interesting and competitive fights, some of which, you know, even decisions that people don't think he it maybe should have gone his way. Uh, and uh, uh, we saw him get hurt by Ernie Shavers and knocked down, get up, and all those snipes knocked him down. So he was vulnerable, but terrific. You know, he, he, he won and uh, always found a way uh, for the most part, to win his fights. But my favorite uh, Larry Holmes fight is probably the very uh, first uh, championship fight he, he was in, in which he won the title against Kenny Norton. Uh, that was, I was there for that fight. Uh, it was at the, at Caesars Palace, and they, they had this tennis complex behind Caesars Palace, only seated about 4,000 people, and it was, they would have some of these big fights there, and it would be on on Saturday afternoon on Wide World of Sports, which this one I believe was. And it was an extraordinary fight. Uh, one of the best heavyweight fights, as I said, I'm going to say in the last 40 or 50 years. And it started out with Larry Holmes, who was, this was his first big, really big major fight. And, and Kenny Norton had won the title against uh, Jimmy Young, and they fought for a vacant title. And the first five rounds, Larry Holmes was, did a terrific job. He was using that great jab of his and was winning virtually every round. And after round five, and there, there's you know audio in the corner of this, uh, Bill Slayton, the, uh, the, the, the trainer of Kenny Norton, said to him, Kenny, you, you, gotta, you gotta start coming on. And Kenny looked at him and said, guess what? It's my turn now. <laughs> and it was his turn. And, he, and, uh, and for the next five or six rounds, Kenny Norton did a terrific job. And this fight heading into the final rounds was very, very close. And heading into the 15th round, and yes, back then there were 15-round fights, you, it was a toss-up. And in round 15, it turned out that that was one of the best heavyweight rounds that we've seen ever, I think, in, in the heavyweight championship uh, pantheon of fights. The first minute, first two minutes of the round, Kenny Norton 
was winning decisively. And he knocked, Kenny, uh, he knocked uh, Larry Holmes's mouthpiece out and, uh, and, and landed lots and lots of big shots. But in the last minute of the round, Larry Holmes came back, had a terrific last minute, and hurt Kenny Norton. And right at the end of the fight, Norton was wobbling and stumbling a bit, and it was very dramatic. And as is so often the case, the judges remember what you did last instead of what you did first. I've always contended over these years that that 15th round probably belonged to Norton, but they gave it to Holmes, and he won a split decision, and that round was the one that decided it. It was an extraordinary fight. Uh, I was have been had the, the good fortune to have a great relationship with both Kenny Norton and Larry Holmes, and have many times talked to them about that fight and um, how extraordinary it was. And they they ended up having great great respect for each other, and they'd often be at events like you know at Canastota in the Hall of Fame or uh, or elsewhere, and they would be reliving those uh, great memories. So that was an extraordinary. Uh, event and one that I was privileged to attend. I was covering it for Boxing Illustrated, and I remember at the time thinking, "Man, you just can't see boxing uh, much better than this." It was pretty extraordinary. Uh, a man who has uh, been involved in some extraordinary boxing matches as a trainer um, is going to be our next guest here. Uh, he has been a friend of mine for almost 40 years in the sport of boxing. Someone I've known extremely well. He has trained Michael Nunn, uh, Gabe and Rafael Ruelas, uh, and many, many other uh, champions, including uh, Diego Corrales and Jose, uh, Joel Casamayor, and uh, now is a fine commentator on Fox um, and does all their boxing matches. And uh, we had a chance to visit with my good friend, Joe Goosey. Joe, I'm so glad that you had a chance to join us. Uh, uh, no podcast of mine would be complete without you as a guest at some point. It's not, in fact, I don't even know uh, if the podcast officially started until today when I had you as a guest. <laughs> you, you look, Al. You know, I would take I would take severe retribution on you if you failed. <laughs> That's right. Yourself. Yeah, you know, right. I'd be in <laughs> trouble if I didn't have you as a guest. Uh, <laughs> nah, you, um, there's nothing you could do, Al. There's nothing you could do that could ever upset me. Truly, uh, uh, we, well, we never and, have and maybe, been upset. And, We've known each other for God, almost forty years. I'm gonna say, and uh, I don't ever remember us right. being upset about anything. So that's we have no, a good you're, you're, we you're, a good winning streak. And, and let it let exactly <laughs> let, well uh, let it be known to the fan and uh, out there. And I know you've got plenty of them. That um, you know, you and I, we do go back a long time. Along with my brother Dan, we started back in the early '80s um, when Michael Nunn was fighting yes. on on ESPN, basically. And uh, you you've been a great friend ever since. And I tell you this off the air, and I tell you on the air, you're you're one of my favorite people in life and in boxing for sure. So that I that, that. I, I wanted to get that out of the way, Al. Well, I appreciate you saying it, and uh, yeah. uh, and my relationship with you and your family has been a, a strong one. That's been one that I have cherished over over time. That's for sure. And you Thank are, you, my brother. yeah. And you, you know, you've been, done so many things in boxing, but one of the things I want to concentrate on right now, before we get back into mm -hmm. your past, is something that mm -hmm. you talked about in the last couple of weeks. You had a great, great interview. Uh, 
that appeared on Boxing Scene in which you were talking about Deontay Wilder and um, and yeah. whether you know this question of could he learn certain skills that would help him um, correct some things that happened in his second fight with Fury, where he had a hard time f specifically fighting on the inside and dealing with this big man in front of him. And you made some very good points in that interview that even at age 34, with the amount of time he has left, there are ways he can fix some of those issues. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, I mean, I I know I I pretty much uh, you know I, I don't want to say rambled on, but I was I was uh, you know quite vocal about you know and and whenever that interview was maybe three weeks ago or so. So, you know, I remember uh, pr pretty much in whole what I said. Now, specifically, if you ask fire away at me, I, I, I can tell you. But, you know, bottom line, I think in a nutshell, what I was saying is, look, if, if Fury and um, Wilder does not take place until uh, October, is that what they're talking about now, late fall? Yeah, I think it's going to be later October. now. Okay, October, November, yeah, whatever it might like be. Look, well, you know, since his last fight, till now from now till the fight there's a lot of time okay and look this guy is an overachiever um you know went to the olympics started boxing late won a bronze if i'm not mistaken yes you know broke all sorts broke all sorts of heavyweight records so we're not talking about some guy who doesn't have the capacity to learn something as fundamental as you know short punching and and uh you know, there's a certain maneuvers on the inside. It's, it's not brain surgery, uh, and it can really go a long way in defending what he might have to defend against in a rematch with Fury, if Fury decides to put the full-court press on again like right. he did in the And in the you made the fight. point in the interviews, what I thought was interesting was you talked about how in previous with previous fighters that you've had, like Michael Nunn, Joel Casamayor, right. you had specific drills. Yeah for them to deal with it, not against top quality fighters so they didn't have to take punishment. So your point is you can work on these specific drills to help him do it. Well, well, absolutely. And look, I mean, you know, Mike Nunn, when I, when I got him, was anything but a fighter that would work on the inside. Right. Okay, Casamire are the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, Casamire probably had poke and go you know and same thing with none as a as an amateur longtime amateur so it was hard to unravel that but once they get it and they got it within a certain amount of time once they get it um boy they're, they're off and running they find the beauty in being able to defend themselves on the inside not to become inside fighters right. but it's just like it being being able to hit the fastball and, and the slider you know what right. i mean you got to right. be able to hit both so, um, and it's a, it's a two, it's a two pronged defensive and offensive uh, strategy that, you know, could be employed by uh, Wilder if he, I mean, when was that fight? Three months ago? Four, how many, yeah, how many months ago was that? Fight? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would have had as a trainer, if I was running that camp, I would have had him back in the gym already. Three months would have already gone by. I would have had three months in the books working with him on the inside. Yeah. Now let's let's face it. You know uh, he's got no problem if he's coming forward throwing long punches. You're in deep trouble if you back up on him. But uh, if you come in on him as Fury, and of course Fury's a bigger guy than right. Wilder, and not not too many other guys are going to be that big. You know, yes. but it, it, but but again, um, 
because he was so big, he was able to kind of bully uh, while they're around. But there's tactics for that, too, that you can prepare against. So I just feel between the three months that have already passed and uh, the next four or five months, I mean, they, you know, you got eight, eight months in the book that you could be teaching this guy yeah, along yeah, with what he does well, you know? Right. And you're not, and as you point out, he's learned other skills too. I thought that was fascinating. Of course, we don't know if Tyson Fury will employ the exact same tactics, but it worked the first time. So you have to believe, or the second time, I should say, you have to believe he might, he might do it again. But I thought it was intriguing because you really broke it down. And, uh, and, and I, and I, I think you're right. There's, there's certainly an opportunity for him to, to grow into that. Um, and uh, you're going to be coming back in a while with your PBC broadcasts uh, and your Fox shows. Um, and yep. uh, when, do you, when do you think you guys are returning? In July at some point? Well, I, I, I you know, it's funny. I just got off the phone with uh, my good friend and the executive producer. I think you probably know Tom McNeely, Peter McNeely's sure, brother, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, you know Tom. And so, Tom, what a great guy he is. He yeah, just called me out of the to check up on, on me and, and my family. And, you know, he does that every couple of weeks. He's, he's such a great guy, but um, we were just discussing that. And uh, it looks like uh, end of July um, mm -hmm. that we may be getting back to work. Thank goodness. And, um, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Although it's going to be sans crowd, um, you know, just commissioners, corners, uh, right. TV texts and so on and so forth. But, so at least we're going to get the, the ball rolling again, which I can't wait because, number I one, I really miss too. I think we're headed for a July um, uh, yeah. a return on Showtime, and, and uh, Top Rank, I know, yeah. ESPN are already going in June. So boxing is returning. In June, and, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. And, and, and even without well, the crowd, I, I, I've said that I don't really think that is going to demonstrably affect broadcasting the fight. Do you? No, no, because normally, um, you know, you got your headphones on, right. you're, you know, you, I, I really don't have a lot of FX on my uh, headphones anyway. So I, I don't I kinda, like them either. Yeah. I don't like it. Either. So I, the crowd is kind of shut out on my headphones anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, zeroed in on the fight itself. Uh, the crowd has no, you know, influence on, you know, how I perform. So right. I think you're right about that. Although, Although there's this underlying electricity that the crowd yes, does bring yeah. and it can get your juices flowing ringside when you see That's them true. pumped up. It's something to be it's something to behold when you you know, scan the arena and you see people going wild or you hear those roars in between rounds or during the rounds when there's some action going. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, it's undeniable that that will play a little effect, but I, yeah. I, I agree with you completely. I think in it general. can be done because again, I, I, I say ninety five percent of the time I'm just zeroed in on what's going on yeah, in the ring and yeah, you're exactly. on the headphones. You're all right in between. You, 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 yeah, you can hear the truck more than you're going to hear the crowd. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you hear <laughs> yeah. the producer talking to you. Um, so yeah, but one one thing I, one thing I did want to throw in there, just so you know, um, I will be uh, doing an ESPN fight. It really? looks like yeah. July. Yes, not announcing uh, actually in uh, involved in the. Combat. Who you, who's, who's it with? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Now yes. I'm going to give you the answer. That's what I'm here for. Um, Andrew, <laughs> right, Andrew Cancio, oh, who's the former 130, yes. yeah, 130 pound champion. He's been recently signed by Top Rank, and um, you know, he, 
fortunately and funny enough, he lives out here in Ventura County where I live, uh, you know, in, you know, the Ventura Oxnard Camarillo area, which right. is not part of LA County. It's Ventura County. And so he, he's, he's close to home here. So that makes it easy. And he's fighting July 16th. And so, said, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hmm? No, I was going to say, I'm really looking forward to that fight's going to be at the MGM in Las Vegas. And, uh, so I'm I'm looking forward because number one, where do you live, Al? Las Vegas. So I'm going to be seeing you. Yes, <laughs> you, you you got right. it. You know, working with right. him, uh, it, it seems to me that's a pretty darn good fit for him to come work with you. How have you enjoyed working with him, and and uh, and what have you seen in him? Yeah, yeah. No, you're you you are a thousand percent correct. His style just falls into my lap yeah. i mean it's it's in my it's, it's in my sweet spot so um so I, it really we've been working together uh and it's it's hand in club where we're really on the same track you know andrew cancio knows how to fight he became champion yes. world for a reason now do certain fighters sometimes uh, have you know you know things that are distractions or maybe things aren't going right in their training or they don't feel they're getting enough whatever it was you know, sometimes a new a switch uh, in camps can, you know, do you good. It's a fresh start. And I think he right. kind of feels like that right now. He's got to, and, and I got to tell you, his, his former trainer, Haas, did a great job with him. I, I, yes. I respect him. And I, and I you know, I, I, like I say, sometimes I've had fighters leave for other trainers yeah. and just kind of the way of the business, you know, it's nothing, nothing you can do about it sometimes. But that being said, his style is a very aggressive style. Of course, it's a West Coast style, and uh, he's very aggressive. He's a great inside fighter. Um, he's got gr great hands, good combinations. But what I'm doing is I'm tightening everything up. I'm cleaning up. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, and uh, you know, adding a few of adding a few of my touches to his style, which which will complement it. Uh, it's nothing too out of the uh, spectrum of what he he likes to do anyway. So he's enjoying my uh, my infusion of new thought, and he really appreciates that I'm tightening up the screws on his defense and placement, Good. elbow placement, shorter punches, more head movement, so on and so forth. And then extreme rounds in the gym, so you're prepared to fight the hardest, toughest, bloodiest 12-round fight you can imagine. If you get anything less than that, it's a gift. But So we're really working hard, doing a lot of rounds, and it's working out great, but you're right. He, he really, he and I really are meshing right now. That's, That's a great. great thing. We're going to look forward to seeing that. It's June 21st, you said? That's July 16th. July 21st. Okay. July 16th. Oh, July 16th. Okay, great. Yeah, look forward to yeah. seeing that uh -huh. and, uh, um, and seeing the beginning of your, um, your time with him. He's an excellent fighter and so much fun to watch. He's so exciting. Um, so yeah. uh -huh. you have your history, uh, of course, you know, when I introduced you, I mentioned so many of the fighters you work with, but you, you did something that was so extraordinary that I don't know if it's, I, I can't remember it ever happening in boxing before or since, where you were training Joel Casamayor, uh, left him, and immediately you were asked to work with the man who he had just fought, and he was going to fight again, Diego Corrales. Uh, I don't ever remember that happening in boxing. It was crazy no you handled it i thought with great aplomb uh and uh and aren't you known for handling things with great aplomb right 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what else? So, um, right. and it, well, it had to be one of the craziest situations ever. And, and you it ended was. up guiding Diego Corrales to a victory over Casamayor when Casamayor had beaten yeah. him before. Right. I, in brief, for your fans out there, what had happened, I had trained Casamayor for five, six years or more. And uh, we went up against uh, Diego Corrales, who to me was just like the most scary guy to go up against. Sure. So I really worked my tail off and prepared a great game plan for Casemiro because he needed every advantage because Corrales is so dangerous no matter what. And um, so it was on the Holyfield James Tony card, uh, I believe at the Mandalay Bay. Right. But regardless, um, it, it, we did. We stopped uh, Diego Corrales, uh, Casemiro did. Uh, they uh, in I say the eighth round, seventh eighth round, and um, they stopped the fight. We won the title. They ordered an immediate rematch, and in between the time from the last bell to the to the immediate rematch, yes, there was a business uh, dispute. Casamayor is out of my gym, and I'm left without a fighter, a champion that we I had just you know brought to the title, and. Um, that being said, one of my assistants, Elon Hyam, who worked for me, Elon got real, uh, a little bit, uh, dis- a little disturbed about the whole thing, and he was a little peeved. So he called the now Corrales had just fired Kenny Adams, who was his oh. trainer for the Casamayor fight. Right. So he was without a trainer, and I was without a fighter. So uh, Elon makes these calls, and funny enough, Diego hung up on him twice and cursed him <laughs> out pretty good, thinking. Think, thinking it was a tactical ploy for the rematch, you know? And he's, no, no, seriously, Joe Gibson wants to train you. He goes, you started, you know, and he hung up on him. And finally, Elon got on the lift for five seconds. And he said, call James Prince, call James. Wow. And then the rest is history. I ended up in Corrales' corner. Then we fought uh, uh, Castlemayor in the rematch. And, and the novelty of this whole thing was I was in the winning corner with Castlemayor and in the immediate in the immediate rematch, I'm in the other corner with Corrales. And uh, so I was the winner in both corners. So you we did. took the. You won both those the, fights, which is pretty extraordinary. And, uh, and of yeah, course. Yeah, I, I don't even. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it's it, I, at the time, I really. I never put a lot of thought into it. Diego was way ahead of me on that. He goes, you know what he said to me before the fight? He goes, you know you're going to get a spotlight put on you. I go, what? Well, I wasn't even thinking about it. And he was right. He was right. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, he was a smart kid. So anyway, the bottom line was, is that um, we, we did win the title back. And uh, that really set the pace for the next two and a half years. Then with his moving up in weight 135 to fight Asselino Fritas, who was 35-0 and 0 with 34 knockouts. We knocked him out in 10. So now we won two titles. We won the junior lightweight title and then the lightweight title. And then, of course, a few months later, uh, we get matched up with uh, Castillo for, I think, a couple of belts. And so, you know, we won, you know, that fight, which was an amazing fight. But that was pretty much the end of the great run right there because that was such a devastating fight for both fighters. I don't think either one of them were ever the same after that fight. Just astonishing. And that run you had was, was pretty amazing with him. And, of course, he was tremendous. The Castillo-Corrales fight lives on, you know, as uh, it just had recently, I think it's 15th anniversary. And uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm going to guess, and you've been involved in some amazing things in the sport of boxing. I'm going to say that's pretty high on your list of amazing nights. 
<laughs> yeah. Look, <laughs> Al, I got to tell you, I, you know, at the time when you're involved in it, yeah. if you're actually really immersed in it and you're focused and zeroed in and laser beamed and, you know, the whole thing, the blinders on, which I was, I had real tunnel vision on that. And uh, it really don't, no. you, you're really not thinking along those lines. You're thinking of every punch that's being thrown what you need to tell your fighter, what you see going on. Is he slowing down? Is the guy getting to him? What's he using against them? What are we doing that's working? You know, it's, it's a continuum of, a, a, you know, a calculation going on round after round. So you really don't get into that type of thought process. But at the time of the knockout, when he knocked him out, I was, I let it all go, of yeah. course. But again, the, 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 sure. the, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the the final thing about it was is that I didn't know the legs the whole thing was going to have afterwards, you know. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it, well, it really... it's it's hard to. I just was interviewing Marvin Johnson, the great light heavyweight from years past, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for uh -huh. a book I'm writing with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, and I was asking him at the time when you were involved with all these great fights, and and that was one of the greatest eras for the light heavyweight division, maybe the best ever. He said, you know, at the time, I didn't really, I was just, we were all fighting each other and we all wanted to win. I didn't really give it any thought. He said, but then afterwards, I realized how astonishing yeah. it was. And that's what happens, right? I, I think that's pretty much what I'm saying, Al. You, yeah. know, it, it, you know, in the moment, you just, you're not thinking. Even, even afterwards, it's not until, you know, some time passes and then, sure. you know, people are saying this or that about it. And I, I, I concur. It was one of the great fights. One of the few fights that if it comes on TV, I'm, I'm actually, if I'm skimming through things, I see it, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, you'll have to re not you, you true, not re watch not that again. It was so extraordinary. Um, so the most important, now what, what everyone does yeah, is Al, Al, I'm just getting a little a waffling in your voice through the oh, okay. uh, connection right now, just so you know. All right. Uh, we're, we're almost winding down here, but I, but I have one very important final question to ask you. And that is, okay. not everybody knows that you are, while you're a boxing expert and you're a fine broadcaster and a, uh, a very eclectic man in general, what they don't know is that you also happen to be one of the great um, devotees of SCTV, which we both are. And you and I have spent <laughs> many yeah, hours. Bobby Bittman. <laughs> yes. We, you and I have spent many an hour uh, in our lifetime watching SCTV episodes together. So the big question, and I've never exactly asked this of you, and it's a very tough question, and maybe you'll have to say yeah. two or three. Who was your favorite SCTV character in all the years on, uh, not so much the actor, but the character that you liked the best? Oh, I, I don't it's think. A tough one, isn't I, it? Look, that, 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 I mean, you're talking about John Candy, Eugene Levy, right. uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Andrea Martin. Martin uh, Short. Martin Short. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're talking about so Too many, many great, but ones. I got to tell what you. What are a couple of your favorites? First, Bobby Bittman, I know. No, 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 Al. Without a doubt, Eugene Levy as Bobby Bittman is probably I, I, I can't get enough of it. He it just even even the the days of the week with Dr. William Wainwright as John Candy, and then Eugene Eugene Levy was just so great in all those skits. I I I just think he made me laugh probably harder than anybody with the wheel and the fire. You know, I I can't tell you. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, no, we, we, you do a great, do a little Bobby Bittman for us. Give us a little Bobby Bittman. Al, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Before you leave, you? give us a little Bobby Bittman. How are you, Bobby? Oh, no, he was the greatest. I, I can't do Eugene Levy right, doing I, Bobby I, Bittman, but he, yeah, I'm going to leave it to the fans to do a little little homework. But go ahead. You, all right, you, that's you, okay. You, I'll get you, you next time ahead. with that. But that was a it was a fantastic show, and and uh, and I think you're right in uh, in picking Bobby Bittman as your favorite character. You are a joy. Oh, when he. Uh, Go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say uh, when the the skit that was probably the greatest is when when uh, Ben Vereen took over from as the headliner in Vegas. So then he goes to retire. He goes to some <laughs> ranch outside Vegas, and he's uh, he's wearing fur coats, of course, while he's you know feeding the uh, the horses. It's it's unbelievable with uh, <laughs> all of his diamonds on it. What a, one of the great shows ever. And by the way. Since this whole thing where you we've kind of been at home a lot more than we normally have, right. you know, I've I've did a did a whole rehash of SCTV. So perfect. Yeah, uh, you have to. Yeah, yeah. I, when we when we when we get together and start doing SCTV trivia, I think I'm gonna probably have it over you on this time. Yes, for that's once, for sure. finally. Yeah, yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. I, I urge everybody to, if you haven't seen this show, go find it and uh, and watch it. It's uh, it's one of the great shows well, of all time. You, oh. One of the great sketch comic teams uh, ever yes. ever compiled. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah. amazing! Uh -huh. And and the people were so outrageously talented. Uh, Joe, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you visiting with us. We'll do it again. And good luck on uh, on July sixteenth. And uh, I look forward to your return to the broadcast on uh, Fox. And we'll and to enjoy your work there. I, I, I just want to add one thing and thank you, Alan. I can't wait to see you. And hopefully, I get to see uh, your 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 wife and son. Uh, yes. You know, which I haven't who I haven't seen in a long time. I know. When we I get out there, but, visiting but, with you. But lastly, I just wanted to tell you, you 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 talk about my broadcasting, and and the, I appreciate any compliment you give me. But you you are uh, obviously a Hall of Fame broadcaster. That's without it. I mean, I you were one of the few guys when I was growing up. I go, this guy knows his boxing. You know, so I really really. Uh, honor you for that and then lastly you gave me the greatest tip i ever got from anybody leading into this whole career that I, well semi-career i had broadcasting going back to 91 when i worked for hbo doing the tv ko's you know what you told me and, it, and i've never forgotten it and i think it served me well you want to know what the tip you yeah, gave go me? ahead i want to hear it you said be fair to both fighters yeah right when you're announcing and, and that really has stuck with me more than anything and and i think it, it really i keep that in the back of my mind whenever i do shows because you know sometimes you go in and, and it's heavily favored in the other corner and the other guy you just kind of write off and it's not fair and yeah. it's not fair because sometimes those guys come back and beat the a side right absolutely yeah right and even subconsciously yeah, you can be doing it. my point was that you wouldn't do it deliberately subconsciously you can do it that's right. That's right. Well, don't get me confused now. I'm just going to take it for what it was worth, <laughs> okay, right? Okay. Simple. Be let's fair to both fighters. And, and, I, and I just wanted to thank you for that. I don't know if I've told you, well, but I tell a lot of other people. Al, yeah. Yeah, you're the you best. You turned Al. into you a really great are. broadcaster. You did a good job on those TV care shows years ago. And I'm so glad that Fox uh, has brought you back to give this generation of fight fans a chance to hear you. So Thank you, Al. Um, but just so you know, you had you had a hand in it. All you, your your goodness rubbed off on me. So I appreciate it. I'm brother. glad I helped okay. a little bit. All right, yeah, Joseph, yeah. you take Certainly care. And, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the ring training and back on Fox as well. Oh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait, really. I mean, this is, you know, guys like you and me and millions and millions of other people are not used to, uh, you know, having uh, 
a, a, a schedule like this. You know, we're, no. we're guys that like to get out there and keep on moving. And so I, I really can't wait to do that again. So All yeah. right. you take care. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm uh, looking we'll forward to it. You You're the best, Al. I'll All see right, you soon. Bye-bye. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. So Joe Goosen, always affable and uh, always fun to talk to. And, you know, Tripp, I thought uh, one of the interesting things he, he said about the Corrales-Castillo fight was that, of course, when you're in the moment of something like that, you're not thinking about how amazing it is. But once it ended, and right after it ended, he was aware that that was an extraordinary uh, fight. And the circumstances surrounding that fight were pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And uh, it, it kind of hit him that he was part of history. Well, it was funny with the mouth guard going out twice. The second time, Joe gave some good advice to Corrales. <laughs> and it, there was an F word in there, but get on the inside. <laughs> yes, you better F and get inside. <laughs> yeah, he was very uh, definitive in his instructions. I don't think and there was any ambiguity at all. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. So it was, it was pretty amazing, and it was fun to visit with Joe. We get a bonus on this show because we have a, a, yet a second guest. And the reason I invited this gentleman on is because on uh, June 12th, at 8.30 Eastern and Pacific time on Showtime. Uh, they're going to be having a, showing a documentary called Ringside. It is a documentary that has already won a number of film festival awards and now gets its showing uh, on American television. And uh, it is the story of two young boxers, Kenneth Sims Jr. and Destine Butler Jr., each from the south side of Chicago who are making their way through the the difficulties of the places they live in and, and, and the challenges that face them both in and out of the ring. And it's also the story of their fathers, Kenneth Sims Sr. and Destine Butler uh, Sr. Um, those men are very different in, in their demeanor, uh, their past, uh, and how they deal with their sons. And it's a, it's a poignant story. It was filmed over a nine-year period, which is pretty extraordinary. And the director of the film, uh, Andre Horman, uh, interestingly, he and his partners are all from Germany. And as you'll hear in the interview, they ended up spending a lot of time on the south side of Chicago, a place decidedly different than their homeland. So here's uh, the conversation we had with Andre Horman. Andre, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Um, your film, which will, uh, of course, debut on uh, June 12th uh, on, uh, on Showtime, is uh, a fascinating study of these two young boxers. And what I found interesting is that you follow them over a nine-year period. How was that in terms of just logistically trying to do a film that lasted for that long a time? Yeah, we didn't plan on it. <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> we we started out in 2010 with a with a short film on Kenny and his dad, and then um, uh, we 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 were fresh out of film school back then, so it uh, uh, took us uh, quite some time to to finance the long uh, feature films. So uh, I think two years. Uh, uh, it was a two years financing progress, uh, process, and we were very lucky to have Ingmar Trost from Suto Kolonko, uh, the German producer on board. 
And then we, we got an initial funding from Germany and then me and the uh, DOP and our families, we both decided to, uh, we all decided to move to Chicago for the film to be uh, able to, um, you know, to spend time uh, uh, with Kenny and his dad and, and, and to find other storylines that might work for the film. And um, uh, 2013, 14, uh, we lived in Chicago and um and we uh, after a while we decided on on destiny's story uh and i think we planned on finishing the film um 2014 but you were then going, you were going to but then uh, yeah it turned out he was in this boot camp right when where yeah. uh he didn't get to be released early from prison which is part of the the story here and you right. had to continue on, right? Right. That that was basically we planned on uh, having him like uh, six months in boot camp, and then you know, uh, uh, f filming how he gets out and and gets back into the gym. But then he didn't make it, and they kicked him out of boot camp. And then it was like an ongoing uh, struggle for him, and and of course for us to stay stay. Um, to keep the production alive as well. Luckily, we, we joined up with uh, Motto Pictures and Julie Goldman uh, from the US, and they were able to raise more funds. So it was like a big puzzle to, you know, yeah. to keep us going. And then we just had to wait uh, because, it, uh, I mean, Ken Kenny's um, career path was pretty, he went up uh, quite early and uh, turned pro and then um, added one victory after another and Destiny was always in jail. So we had like this totally different storylines and Destiny was Yeah, you did. And, so and the, the young man we were talking about in, who went to the boot camp, of course, was Destine Butler, who I explained before, uh, and also um, Kenneth Sims, the, the young man who uh, ended up... Uh, also followed in this, who ended up becoming a, a professional fighter, as does Destine. This story is as much about their fathers as it is about them. In fact, in a way, it is the, the story of the fathers. Uh, Kenneth Sims Sr. and uh, Destine Butler uh, Sr., uh, two men who uh, had their share of issues in life. Destine Butler was uh, had been a drug dealer. Kenneth Sims Sr. had some issues as well. This is kind of about their about their redemption too, isn't it? Yeah, very much, I think. And and we were uh, focused on finding father-son teams in the in the south side of Chicago because I learned about the the very crucial uh, role a, a father um, uh, can be or in your life. So when you are, uh, uh, what I learned is when you are um, at that. At kind of critical age between 13 and and uh, 18 and your father isn't there for you and is not having your back then you have way less chances to um yeah to find uh, a safe way to lead your life and and both of uh, uh, both of them destiny and kenny they had like a very strong bond and the the fathers were like um yeah, we're with them all the time in very different approaches of um, raising them up, I think. Uh, sure. But, but I think in the end, they were, um, they were the, the most important, important person for them uh, yeah, to, 
to keep them safe. Yeah, and the, and the relationship between the father and son in both instances is explored uh, deeply in this film, and it's a big part of what makes the film special. And it, it you know, what was it that made you originally um, feel that boxing was the right, uh, finding young boxers was a, the right way to tell a story of these inner city youths? It was, um, I think, uh, I, I, when I first was in, uh, was in Chicago, uh, 2007, um, I, I heard a lot about the South side and the, and the, and the importance of boxing there, this, you know, off the streets, off the streets in the gym, um, mentality of the, of the coaches and, um, uh, uh, and then I then I just went there and and it's such a I mean boxing is an amazing uh, sport especially for for documentary filming because it's physical and it's a duel and and it's like um, you know it's a metaphor for life sure. I think uh, so so um, and when I when I visited those gyms and and learned about the coaches and the kids uh, uh, training there and met their fathers it was like. Um, I, I, I never wanted to leave again. Yeah, you knew right years, away so. that was the story, huh? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and the show will be, uh, as I said, it'll be uh, debuting on Showtime on uh, June 12th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie that has already won awards uh, at uh, film festivals, and I... I, I, I I know you must be proud of it as uh, as an achievement for uh, for your filmmaking uh, resume. Uh, yeah, I mean for for me and the editor uh, Vincent Asman and the DOP uh, Tom Bergman, it's basically it was the you know the the project of our lives in the last ten years basically because we 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 spent so much time with them and it was such an, a, a a huge amount of. Um, dedication and work for us and and we are like uh, and it wasn't since since it took so long to destiny gets out of jail it wasn't always sure that we are um, going yeah. to make a great film so in the end it's such a big relief and we are really proud that we were able to make it to the Berlinale and then and then especially happy that we were able to win the Chicago uh, Film Festival's documentary awards uh, and I think in Tehran as well, of all places. Um, so, and, and we had a nice festival run, and now we are um, uh, excited uh, to be part of Showtime, which is really, really amazing for us, and especially for, for Destiny and Kenny, who always wanted to be there. Yeah, that's for sure. I, uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, so uh, I, I, uh, I understand the setting and... Uh, and a lot of what went on, and I was an amateur boxer on the south side of Chicago, going to <laughs> different gyms. So uh, for me, looking at this film uh, gave me some memories uh, of that, though my time was much farther back than these young fighters. Andre, <laughs> uh, what a delight to visit with you, and uh, the film is excellent, uh, and I hope everybody will be able to watch it uh, on June 12th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and, uh, and Pacific, and uh, I, I I'm sure you are happy and proud of your achievement and uh, we'll look forward to seeing a lot more from you uh, here in the United States on uh, Showtime and other outlets as well. Thanks a lot. And thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Andre.
So on uh, June 12th, uh, Friday night, you can see at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time, you can see the movie Ringside. Uh, it'll be a great watch. You will really enjoy it. It's very poignant and uh, very interesting uh, in telling the story of these two young men as well as their fathers uh, and how they navigate life uh, in boxing and life in general. Uh, we are going to, uh, in our next episode, have a lot of fun as well because we are going to be visiting with Michael Buffer, my uh, friend uh, for many years, and of course the voice of uh, boxing. And uh, uh, Trip, if I really ask him, he might say, let's get ready to rumble during the interview. Maybe if I really twist his arm. You know what's funny about Buffer? There are so many great stories about Michael Buffer. Yeah. He is truly, it's amazing. As a ring announcer, he is one of the characters in boxing's you know, the last 50 years, he has been there and has some great, and he was nice enough. Your good friend and mine, Logan Hobson, and I did a radio show 30 years ago called mm -hmm. At Ringside, and Buffer came in to do a custom open for us, and he didn't yep. need to do that, but it, yep. it was delightful, and I've really enjoyed watching him work ever since. Yeah, Michael, you know, we, he was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame the same year I was, in year 2012, and, uh, and we shared that memory together, and Michael and I, back in the day when ESPN Top Rank Boxing was just starting and Michael just got his opportunity in the early 80s, uh, he used to come in, uh, to Atlantic City and hang, stay in the apartment of Akbar Muhammad, who was one of the top rank uh, uh, coordinators. And uh, he would literally stay over with him over the weekend and we'd all hang out and, and just uh, you know visit and go do things and then do the fights. And, uh, of course, that led to a great career for him. So next, in our next episode, Michael Buffer will be joining us and we'll revisit uh, a lot of his great memories and talk about great, great boxing matches. My thanks to Tripp and thanks to Lee for uh, producing this show. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, everybody.